Thank you. I cut him off when I turned my machine on. Had I have known that, I would have done it much earlier. <laughs> well, thank you for the privilege of being here and insulting your pastor. That's lovely. Good morning, everybody. What a lovely part of the world, isn't it? No? Mel was talking about cold. Um, don't go to Townsville, mate. We went up to Cooktown on this trip. We travel around to all the little churches out the bush, you know. And we went up to Cooktown and it blew a hurricane. It, we've got a Winnie Bay go out the back, so no graffiti at the back, okay. <laughs> but the wind was so bad, like it's rocking like this. And I said, oh, thank God we'll get down the south soon where the weather's nicer. <laughs> we always complain. But how about this? What a beautiful day. Yeah. Lovely. Love your worship here. This is a great church. You've got a wonderful pastoral team, Pastor James and Pastor Mal and the team there. Great musician, great singing and worship, wonderful stuff. How many of you know that's a good, healthy church? So congratulations. Well, we better get going because um, uh, time is short and I am long. I'm going to talk to you on an unusual subject called our blessed obligation to the gospel. Now, when I use the word obligation, you're going to go, oh boy, that sounds a bit heavy. But I want you to hear it in the context of what we're going to read in a moment, what Paul writes in Romans. But um, we should ask questions regularly. What does the church exist for? Why do you think we exist? And there'd be a lot of reasons for what we exist. And pastors mentioned about reaching into the community. How many of you know that's fantastic? We're here to care and pastor people, look after the needs of people. But if there's any one thing that we should say, this is the main reason we exist, I'd like to suggest it was one of the uh, uh, slogans, if you like, of our missions department to make Christ's last commandment our first priority. It's not our only priority, but how many of you know his last command was going to all the world, preach the gospel? How many of you reckon that ought to be one of the things that we hold as a high priority as to why we exist? Rick Warren, many of you would know that name, he's a very famous American preacher, consultant, writer, uh, many of the books that he has we've used in our churches. In his research, he asked a question, what reason do you think the church existed? And I'm quoting now, for my needs and that of my family, 89% said that. For my needs and the needs of my family, only 11% believed that it was to reach the lost for Christ. I'd like to think that that's what we exist for in this church, yeah. isn't it? To reach the lost for Christ. And obviously your great passion for missions makes it very, very uh, practical way of doing it. My son planted a church in Perth, and it's pretty hard when you start from scratch, but I remember he rang me up one night and he said, I've got my first convert tonight, Dad. And we were pretty excited about that. He said, that is, who was it? He said, well, she was a prostitute who went on the website, looked at the website, came along and got gloriously saved. I said, you know, Phil, that's better than 50 people transferring from another church. Yeah, How many of you know every one convert is an advancement of the kingdom of God? Now, do we welcome people for other churches? Absolutely. Come and join us and help us do the great thing. But how many of you know our priority ought to be the reaching of the lost for Christ. So it's not, you don't have to turn to this, it's just an introductory comment. But in 2 Kings chapter 7, 
It's a story of four lepers who are at this city gate. The city's guy is starving to death and these four lepers are standing there and they're working it out. If we go in the city, we're going to starve to death. If we stay here, we're going to starve to death. And so they said, let us go to the camp of the Arameans. And this is their quote. And if they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, we die. How many of you reckon that's a pretty desperate sort of situation? But they went down to the camp of the Arameans who were the enemy and they did not know, but God had already scared them out of the place. They thought they heard the sound of armies and the Arameans all fled and left everything behind them. And these four starving lepers went in there and boy, they had a picnic, mate. They went and had all the food and all the drink they ever could eat. They had clothing, they got silver and everything else. But this is what they said as they realised, they said, this is the day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. Let's take it back to the city. And the story is a long story. The king didn't believe him at first. He thought it was a trick of the enemy, but they eventually found out that God did cause them to flee and the city was saved by four lepers. What a wonderful story it is when you go, hey, this is too good to keep to ourselves. Yeah, come on. We can't just sit here every Sunday and enjoy this fantastic church, the wonderful preaching, the fantastic music, the great fellowship, and most of all, the great food. We can't just live and exist for those things. Isn't that true? We have a greater purpose, and that is don't keep it to yourself. Let's share it with others. So with that little introduction, I'd like you to be aware of my scripture in Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I know not many bring Bibles today, but if you do, or if you've got an iPad or a phone, whatever. Paul writing here in verse 14 of Romans chapter 1. Oh, this is my little wife, Val. Stand up, Val, say hello. Bless you, little lady. She's not an afterthought. I did realise she was there. And at at the back of the church, after the meeting, if you'd like to go and Uh, See, we've got some materials there, some CDs, and every CD you buy saves my wife pushing that van a (laughs) kilometre. Now, the CDs are not much good, but they make great mats for your coffee shop. They can make doormats. They can do anything. Slide discs and all that. But think of Val pushing that van. I'm joking for those who don't know me. I am only joking, you're right. But if, you, if you'd like to have a look at some of that, Val will be out there to uh, rip all the money she can off you. <laughs> Verse 14 says this, I am obligated. Would you say that word obligated? Obligated. Both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. Would you please say Gospel. Gospel. Also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First the Jew and then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last. Get that? A righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That, by the way, was one of the keystone revelations that Martin Luther had in the Catholic Revolution, or what we call the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. 
So in that context of what we're reading here, how many of you can see that this is an incredibly important scripture that we're reading? Father, I ask that the power of your Holy Spirit, the person of your Holy Spirit, the presence of your Holy Spirit would be with us. Holy Spirit, I recognize without you I can do nothing. I know I can talk and I know people can listen, but we do recognize that you, Holy Spirit, are the one that takes the written word and makes it the living word in the hearts of your people. And I pray this morning this word will be mixed with faith so that it will be profitable up to you, for you and your kingdom in Jesus' name. Paul's burden springs from, first of all, his personal experience of the transforming power. Remember, he was going along the road to Damascus and had an encounter with God. How many of you know, if you've had an encounter with God, you're never at the mercy of a person with an argument. People might, I don't believe in that religion. It's a lot of psychology. How many of you know if you've encountered God, you're never at the mercy of a person with an argument? So he had an experience. Secondly, we noticed that he had an intimate relationship with Jesus. This wasn't religion. This was a real encounter that brought a revelation of Jesus to his own heart. And thirdly, he had a burning passion. How many of you reckon there are three important things for you and I to be people that follow what Paul's saying. One, we do need a personal experience with Christ. Every young person here, one of the great dangers of growing up in church is you know all the words, all the language, all the songs, do everything, but how many of you know you've got to have a personal encounter with Christ? Yeah. I grew up in a church, you know, my, when I'm, I was a little kid of six, I think I went into my dad's room, he tells me, and I said, I want to give my life to Jesus. How many of you know you grow up in church? But I can remember the occasions at camps where, first of all, a man by the name of Gerald Rollins prophesied over me at 16, a personal encounter that changed my life. Then I was a youth leader and he prophesied over me again. And he prayed for me and knocked me over. Well, he didn't knock me over, but I went flying back over all these chairs. How many of you know if you've had a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit, if you've had that, that changes your life. That goes from religion to reality. And Paul is speaking here because he's had this reality of an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. So three points that I want to make very quickly. Three points I want to make. I'll just readjust those words. One, I'm obligated. Well, when you read this word like I do, the first thing I thought is, boy, it's pretty negative. But Paul was saying this in the context of looking at the the city of Rome. Now, I don't want to go down a negative path, but how many of you know the city of Rome was incredibly pagan and incredibly wicked? We all know that out of uh, the first chapter of Rome, Paul, Romans, Paul talks about the gay liberation that was in there, and he speaks and addresses that. But how many of you know the point was far bigger than that? Listen to some of the words he uses to address what was going on in Rome. He said to them that they were full of all kinds of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, God-haters, boastful, disobedient to parents, heartless and ruthless. How many of you reckon that's a pretty bad description of a group of people? And he looks at that church and he says, hey, I want to get the gospel out in Rome here because this city of Rome needs the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not a local in this city, but I can tell you that most of those things that he saw back then would be applicable to your city like every other city in Australia. 
I reckon that we need to wake up, that we're in a spiritual warfare. Things are not getting better in terms of morality. Things are not getting better in terms of the direction of a moral compass. How many of you reckon we're being stripped of our moral compass with all sorts of philosophy, ideology? How many of you reckon same-sex marriage, the stuff they're bringing into our schools for the kids to learn? We, the church, have got to learn. Out there, it is a warfare, and it's all not nice and pretty. It's not nice and pretty and Paul is saying I am obligated with this gospel that I've got to get it out into the city of Rome so that the people can know the transforming power of Christ. The word obligated simply means I'm indebted to. I think he was indebted in two ways. First of all, I think he was indebted to God. How many of you reckon Jesus dying on the cross cost God everything? What a debt we have for the love of God given out to every person on this planet. That love of God, that was a great debt. He realized that salvation wasn't cheap. That this religion wasn't a cheap thing. It cost God everything to send Jesus down. First of all, a relationship that had an obligation to God. But secondly, he had an obligation to those in the city of Rome. And I think that we could all recognize that we have an equal responsibility to God and to the fellow citizens of our city. You have a responsibility. Come on. Yeah. Well, we pay pastors to do that sort of thing. <laughs> well, they're paid to be good, and you're good for nothing. How <laughs> I many of you know you do, you do what they should be preparing you and teaching you and training you to do. How many of you understand that? That's what the church is all about. It's not coming here and just listening and singing and all that. It's taking what we hear, what we're inspired to do, and take it out there. So the word obligation here has got nothing to do with your salvation. Can I make that very clear? Paul's not saying, if I don't do this, my salvation's at risk. Quite clearly, we're told in the scripture in Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Your salvation is complete in your faith in Christ Jesus. You can knock on every door in this city until your knuckles bleed. You could walk until you wear your knees to your knees. But listen, that won't make any difference for your salvation. That's already done by Jesus and it's not by works, it's by grace alone. How many of you can say hallelujah? So we're not talking about an obligation here that we have to do this because our salvation depends upon it. We really believe we have been saved through grace, not through witnessing not through giving money, not through working, working around the church, and all those are good, but our grace, our grace in Christ's work of us is so very, very important. So, if Pastor James came to me after the meeting and said, oh, look, I hear you're going down south, and uh, I borrowed $100 off Ross Davies down there in, in um, Harvey Bay, and he gave me $100 to give to Ross, I'd have an obligation two ways. I'd have an obligation to him to pay his debt. But how many of you know I'd had an obligation to Ross because this might be his last meal for a long time. <laughs> and that $100 is the difference between him making it and not making it. I would have an obligation to him and to Ross. 
You and I have an obligation to God and to the people around us. So would you please be encouraged to take your obligation not out of salvation necessity, but out of the love. See, I take my wife out for meals and I buy her little gifts. I bought her flowers once. (laughs) But they died. What a waste of money. They died. What a ridiculous thing flowers are. So now I buy her chocolates. And the reason I buy her chocolates is that if if she eats a lot of chocolate, she gets headaches. So I eat the chocolate so she won't get headaches. That is sacrifice. Come on, boys, give me a bit of encouragement here. But I... (laughs) This stupid illustration. Emily, if you know, I don't do that because I think she might strike me out of her will. Wouldn't be much of... Anyway, I don't do it... I don't keep the cheap friends. I do it because I love her. And I want to please her. And I want to... Say it again. What? What part? I love you. <laughs> or chocolates. Which part do you want me to say? How many of you have got the message? Yeah. Paul's feeling obligated to God and he's motivated by his love for God and he's motivated by his love for the people around him that don't know God. That is why he wants to get the gospel. Hey, I could spend all day going through this next one called What is the Gospel? The gospel is simply humanity is lost without God. Humanity cannot save itself. Jesus came to express to us the love of God for every human on this planet. Did you hear that? Every human on this planet. Jesus died for the whosoever will. And by faith in what Christ has done brings you into relationship with God that can give you a new purpose, a new direction, and an eternal life. How many of you reckon that's the gospel in a nutshell? I've got a full manifesto here of the world evangelization. I tell you, a pastor might want to take that off there. I'm not going to go through it. But how many of you know the gospel is more than putting your hand up and saying, Jesus, come into my heart? The gospel is the kingdom of God taking his rule over every area of your life. The gospel is the power of Satan. Every demonic force is broken in your life. The gospel is taking your feet that were on a slippery path down to hell and putting them on a new path that goes to heaven. How many of you know we could go on all day about what the gospel is? And I'm pleased to tell you that I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. You might go, well, is, is that all that there is about it? Well, there's so much involved in that. You know that you and I are here for the glory of God. When Adam and Eve were created, God created them in his image and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. How many of you know one of the great things about your mission programs, Pastor, is you are helping to fulfill the original plan that God had that Adam would be God's reflection multiplied throughout the whole earth. When Satan came and deceived Adam and Eve, How many of you know there's a second Adam came along called Jesus and Jesus came to restore the original intention why God put us on this planet. We're here for the glory of God. Well, you thought you were here to get married and have half a dozen kids and buy a boat and a car, have a little holiday place and pop into church every so often, but just watch the Broncos win like they did. You thought that it was all about that sort of thing. Listen, nothing wrong with any of those things. 
But that's not your main purpose. You're here for the glory of God. You're here as a reflector of God's glory. You don't come here on Sunday morning to just feel good. You're here to get filled with some encouragement, the Word of God, to take the glory of God. How many of you are aware that the Westminster Catechism, this was good, written in 1646. Pastor James was just a little boy back in 1646. And it was done by the Church of England at the Westminster Assembly. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I reckon that's a good definition of why we're down here. We're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You're not enduring a religion. You're enjoying God. You're enjoying the fact that you have a wonderful relationship with him. I love the scripture because we quote it, misquote it so many times. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of you know we major on all have sinned? But the tragedy of that scripture is we've come short of the glory of God. Sin has caused us to come short. And we can major on the sin factor, but we've got to realize that the sin factor is the thing that stops us enjoying the glory of God. All have sinned and come short. How many of you know God's plan for your life is a glorious plan? How many of you know that God didn't save you to become an enduring, miserable Christian? Yes. What do you mean, yes? (laughs) Maybe just wait till I finished and and say amen at the end. Dear Lord, what are we going to (laughs) do? I've lost my train of thought, mate. You've got it, haven't you? You're here for the glory of God. You're here for Him. You're here to enjoy Him. Now, I guarantee every person in this room has got problems. Are you married? (laughs) Have you got kids? Who's got kids? Don't be ashamed. There's nothing wrong with that. How many of you have got teenagers? Here's some good advice. Run away from home before they do. Just run away. So when I talk about God's purpose in your life is to enjoy life, does that mean that you will have no problems? Now that you've become a Christian, you're in this little bubble that floats 30 metres above the ground and you don't get sickness and you don't get problems and you don't have your kids go off the rail and you don't get financial troubles and you don't lose your job. How many of you know you've never been promised that? You've been promised in the midst of all those things that happen to you and happen to your neighbours. The difference between you and your neighbours is they don't have Jesus there with them. Big mouthful. Shh, don't say nothing. <laughs> no, I'm just skipping a lot here. So the summary of my first point goes like this. We are obligated to God and to humanity to take the gospel. It's the most desired life upon this planet to live for Jesus. Come on. There you go. Thank you, Pastor. I'll just give you the... Secondly, Paul said, I am not ashamed. Paul understood what it meant to be ashamed because he was responsible for the persecution, the jail, and even the death of many of the Christians in the early days. How many of you know he would know what he's talking about when he says, I am not ashamed, understanding that standing up for Christ in that first century could cost you your life. And he says it quite clearly, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The word ashamed means to despise or to treat 
as contemptible, to be embarrassed, get this word, or to be intimidated. Peter was ashamed of Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62, remember the young girl said, oh, I think I saw you with uh, Jesus, and remember, not me. And two other people said, yeah, I'm sure you're one of them. No, not me. Three times this big, bulky fisherman denied Jesus. He was ashamed of Christ. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had the opportunity to say something for Jesus and you've never done it? Don't, don't put your hands up. My wife and I, we were travelling with a group of eight people at a place, we stopped at a place called Mataranka. It's about 100 k south of Catherine. If ever you're travelling around, there's a beautiful natural spring in that caravan park, just beautiful, warm water, lovely. Anyway, there's eight of us there and we're packing up, ready to go. And as I'm packing up, this man called Vic came along and he started to chat. How many of you know people chat at the wrong time? I'm trying to get going. He, he didn't really want to go. And he, this is his story. He said, look, I'm in my 70s. And he said, I've got cancer. And he said, this is probably going to be my last trip ever after this. I don't think I'll ever make it again. He's going on about his cancer. And then he walked away and he went around. Anyway, I'm packed up and I'm sitting in the car <coughs> waiting for the other slow coaches with caravans. Mobile homes, you just pop in and off you go. I'm waiting for the other. While I'm there, would you believe it, Vic comes and stands alongside my window. So I press the window down and he's talking. And while he's talking, Val gets a little Gideon's New Testament and she slips it into my hand like this. And he's talking and he, he's going on and talking. And then he walks away, and I've still got this in my hand. Now, I know you've got no idea what I'm talking about, because you're such bold people, you just, you take every chance, and if you don't take this, you'll go to hell. I know what you're like. But how many of you know, when you're driving a van, you've got a lot of time to think? And I rehearsed a million times what I could have said. Hey, Vic. Here's a little book. If you read this, it'll bring life and hope to you. Vic, if you read this, there's a possibility God could heal. How many of you know what it's like to be tormented by the fact you had a wonderful opportunity to say something and you never did? Yeah, come on. Am I on my own here? I'm, anybody else? How many of you know what it's like? And I have promised God, I said, God, by your grace, I will never let that happen again. By your grace, I will... Over there, that quick. How many of you reckon it's that quick to just give the Bible? If you said nothing, have a read of that. Or, yeah, mate. And I know what it is to, I'm not a shy type personality, but I tell you, I think most of us know what it is to be like to be a little bit intimidated about what goes on. You see, 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this God did not give to us the spirit of fear. And the pastor. And I have preached thousands of sermons on fear. You won't be fearful of snakes or spiders or sharks or go walk on the water. You'll be so How many of you know this has got nothing to do with fear of ingredients, fear of elements, fear of what's happening? The word in the NIV is the word intimidated. God has not given us the spirit of intimidation, but power, love, and a sound mind. Have you got this? Watch this very carefully. 
You go, well, can you prove that what you're saying is true? Absolutely I can, because verse 8 goes like this. So don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or about me, his prisoner. How many of you know Paul is saying, the intimidation that we all are confronted, that spirit of fear that comes upon us, that just makes us a little hesitant, God has given us the antidote for that, power, love, a sound mind. Dunamis, agape, and a well-balanced mind. How many of you know well-balanced mind means you're not going around bashing people on the head with the gospel and being obnoxious. It's waiting for the right opportunity to just share a little bit about your testimony. How many of you know you don't have to have a theological degree to tell people about what Jesus has done for you? Oh, they do ask some tricky questions. Well, here's the answer to the tricky questions. You ready? Where do the dinosaurs come from? Where did Cain get his wife from? How could it be God creating when we've got so much evidence of evolution? What a lot of junk. Do you know that evolution is a faith statement? Because they say it's scientific. They cannot prove. They cannot re-establish the fact. They cannot retest all the evidences of what science says. Well, say to them, well, look, how can you prove the Big Bang Theory? Well, it's a theory. Have you got any idea of any species that goes from being this to that? No. Ken Hoven in America, he does, uh, he does lecturing in, in um, creation science schools. He has offered a quarter of a million dollars to anybody who can give empirical science, empirical proof of any species, any plant, any insect transforming from one species to the other. But you're taught at school, this is scientific. How many of you know it would be a good thing? Sir, Sir, isn't science supposed to be provable, repeatable, established, fact? That's what they'll say. We'll say, where have you ever found anything that's in one transition? They have a faith in evolution, you and I have a faith in God. And how many of you know that's for us to understand that we should not be intimidated because of these people that want to make us feel like we've lost our brains. Oh, if you're a Christian, obviously you get rid of your brain when you become a Christian. No, you don't. I had, uh, I had a great debate in my church with a guy called Dr. Paul Wilson from the ABC and Dr. Carl Wieland from the creation side, a public debate. And I tell you, if you were an objective visitor to that room, you would say that the creationists have as much, if not more, evidence, scientific evidence for their theory than do the evolutionists. So let's move on quickly before we get carried away. I noticed that Pilate, Pilate here is making the church a shame in Acts chapter 4, and they gather for prayer. Do you remember this prayer meeting where the house started to shake? And they're there praying. And the Bible says that when they got there and they were intimidated, they did not pray, oh God, would you please get us out of this? This is what they prayed. Grant unto your servants that with all boldness we may proclaim the word of God. Can I get this across to your church today? If there's one thing we want to be praying in our churches... It's not hiding or protecting from a society that points the finger at us and say, ah, you church people, they're always after your money. 
You know, da-da-da. How many of you know we ought to be people that say, I tell you what happened, my life would be a mess without Jesus Christ. How many of you know a boldness of statement as to what Jesus has done in your life, friend, is a powerful testimony to why the church exists. We are a transforming power in the community in which we live in. And I like to encourage you to be people that are not a, a people that want to be ashamed of the gospel, but boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Andrew goes to his brother Peter and he says to Peter, please get this, it's a beauty. He says, Peter, come and see, I think we found the Messiah. Come and see, I think we found the Messiah. Peter became one of the great apostles because his brother said, come and see. My family background is my parents were not Christians, they were pretty pagan. And a little insignificant lady invited my mum to church, you know, and it was one of those, her name was May Holland, if she's related to you, come and see me after the meeting. But May simply said to my mum, would you like to come and see? We've started a church around the corner. My mum went there with her and got gloriously saved. My dad was so impressed, he got gloriously saved. My sister married Philip Hills, who was the pastor of Richmond Temple, used to be, called, it's called Bridge now. He was the vice president of the Assemblies of God nationally, and he was the state president. My other sister married Barry Clark. He did a fantastic job planting a church down in Bansdale. This little old me, old me. I've been the president of our state. I've been the vice president of the state. Had a good church in Brisbane. It's now called Nexus. Has a great school. What am I saying? This isn't a brag on me. This is to say one lady said, come and see. An insignificant lady. Not a pastor. Not a paid evangelist. A little lady. Come and see. Mum goes along. Mum and dad get saved. These three kids become Incredible influences for the gospel. You don't know who you might be saying, come and see. This is going to be a great sermon. Come and see and go and tell. Come and see and go and tell. And I'm encouraging you, church, this morning, with all of the enthusiasm I can, to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to ask God to give you boldness and wisdom to invite the right people. In fact, before we go home, why don't, why don't we ask the Holy Spirit to put some people in your path this week that you might go, come and see. Come and see Margaret. Come and see what this lady's doing. Come and, hear, come and hear the gospel in another format. How many of you reckon that's the way the gospel works? Now, finally, the third point, and we're going to finish in six minutes, goes like this. Why are we not ashamed? Yes. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the dunamis of transforming and changing a life. It's 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Our gospel came to you not in simple words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. What a sermon there, 
Isn't that a sermon? It came with power and the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. The gospel is that Christ died to bear our sins and when we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us of our sins. The gospel is the old life has been crucified with Christ and we walk in abundant of life. We're in a new life. The gospel is not mind dynamics, just behavioral changes, self-betterment programs, or getting in touch with yourself. The gospel is God's dunamis power coming in and transforming your life and making you a new creation in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, I don't want to be negative, but the education system can't do that. We are the most educated society in the history of the world. You know that? Like worldwide, I'm talking now. Most educated, but how many of you reckon we've got more problems than we've ever had? It's not politics. Dear Lord, be careful what you say here, John. In politics, politics may improve your life, or they may not. How many of you know, but my confidence in not in the transforming power of politics, not in socialism, Marxism, nor communism, all of those have been tried in the last century, and they did not work. It's not in capitalism and consumerism. How many of you know buying more things won't make you more happy? We're told that every time we watch the television. It's not in secular humanistic philosophy or ideology, the stuff that we're getting rammed down our throats in our schools and university. There is one power that can transform a life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not in Buddhism, Islam or Taoism. Oh boy, you've got to be careful what you say, John. Yeah, I want to be real careful what I say. There is only one way, and that's called Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm not here to criticise other religions. I'm here to tell you that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the way to the Father. We do not hold hands with the Buddhists and, and the Islamic people and the Taoists. We don't hold hands and say we're all going to the same place. We are people that believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Young people here will be angry with me because it sounds like I'm a bigot. You're right. How many of you know Christianity is not a pluralistic religion? We don't embrace all other values and all other religions the same. We say Jesus Christ is the way. Now, why am I pushing this, friend? Is because if you have a belief, well, other people go to God by other ways. How many know you're going to lose the power of urgency to want to get the gospel out? If you think there's some other way to God or some other religion to God or some other method, you're going to lose it. So I'm trying to stir you up to say Jesus made it quite clear. We're in the absolutes that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Hip hip. Right. But the transforming power of the Holy Spirit can change the human heart. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and that will be a transforming power. I know it may sound a little objectionable, and you might find them a little bit dogmatic, but I'm just simply quoting to you what the Scripture is saying. So my experience is this. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. And I am not saying... Uh, the other people are insincere. I just think they're sincerely wrong. I was preaching in a place called Yuma in Arizona. Uh, It's just near the Mexican border. And these pastors said to me, John, they said, we're going to shoot over to Mexico today. Do you want to come down? We had the afternoon off. So there's about five of us in the car. And we're driving towards the border. And I said, oh, 
well, I need my passport. I haven't got my passport. And they said, no, you'll be right. You're with us. <laughs> Even if you know, we got into Mexico real easy. We drove into Mexico, but coming out, This guy comes up to the car, the inspector at the gate, and says, Hi, he says, where do you come from? I come from Arizona. Where do you come from? I come from Arizona. Where do you come from? I come from Australia. Give me a look at your passport. I said, it's back in the hotel. Get out the car, please, sir. <laughs> then he took me into the jail, put me on a stretching rack. <laughs> You know, the old waterboarding. No, no. You said, come in here, sit down. He said, we can't let you grow over until you, uh, you produce your passport. So the guys had to go back, break into my room, get my passport, come back. Now, the point that I'm making is this. My friends were sincere. They thought, you'll be right, you're with us. I guess they were working on the fact that the driver would say, oh, you know, we're from America. Oh, not this bloke. He went to each one of us individually and asked us where we came from. All I am simply saying is there, there are thousands and millions of people who are sincere about what they think is the way to God, but sincerity is not enough. You need to have the truth. And friends, I want to tell you we are such a blessed people because we do know the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. <clears throat> so the power of the Holy Spirit convicts us, the power of the Holy Spirit converts us, the power of the Holy Spirit transforms us, and the power of the Holy Spirit is that which makes us different to everybody else. Can I close with this last thought? 11 o'clock. We're obligated to the gospel of Christ for all humanity. We're obligated because, friends, our society is not going to pull itself up by the socks and change. It's going to go, history will tell us, it'll go down, not up. And you and I have the most wonderful news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, we will not be ashamed of that gospel. And by God's grace, we will let that transforming power take place in people's lives. There'd be people in here, I would guarantee tonight, this morning, I'll guarantee there's people here that wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the gospel. Some of you could have been in an alcoholic stream or a drug stream or how many of you know there's, there's a, a testimonies everywhere about people who say, if I didn't find the gospel, I would not be what I am today. So we know that that's not just to select, that's for everybody. God can do great things. Would you please stand? You've been a wonderful congregation. Listen so carefully. Heads about and eyes are closed for one moment. I'm a visitor here and I don't know most of you people, but should there be one person here this morning that does not know what I'm talking about as their personal reality? You don't know Jesus. You may have heard about him. You may have come to this church. You may have been in another church. But you know, the truth is, you've got to accept him into your life. If you've never done that, would you give me the privilege of praying for you before you go? Say, please pray for me. I want what you're talking about. I want that power of Christ that transforms my life. <clears throat> and I'm willing to go and follow him. And I'm lifting my hand and I'm asking you to please pray for me. I'd love to do it just quickly. Before we go, is there anybody 
you've never done that and you would like to do that, I'd love to pray for you before we go. Well, we'll take it that everybody here is a Christian. That's good and that's bad. Hey, that's good and that's bad. But would you do this with me? <clears throat> would you just lift your hands up? And would you ask in a simple prayer like this, Jesus, I want to be obligated to the gospel. I want to break through any shame or timidity of being a Christian. And I pray that you will give me confidence and power to speak to somebody in Jesus' name. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that as our hands are lifted to you, would you please bring names of a couple of people that we regularly meet and know, our workmates, our neighbours, our friends, our relatives, people we know, and we're asking, Holy Spirit, would you give us wisdom when to ask, would you like to come and see? Or could I pray for you? Or a simple little thing of giving someone the opportunity to respond. Holy Spirit, put names into our hearts of people that we could look out for this week that we could give an invitation to. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you, Pastor.